like I do feel at the moment that these projects could grow a lot faster if I was focusing on them full-time. The value of having a full-time income is that sustains you while you can slowly and in a fun way build your side projects up. Yeah, there's no, there's no stress about the projects making money. If they do, then it, they do. But I think it also it's a bit of a curse that there is that cushion because there is no pressure. Mm. So I might not be taking the risks and I might not be pushing as hard as I could be to make them into a success. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast where I bring you stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. Today we're joined by Dan Rowden, who is an entrepreneur and product builder currently based in Mauritius. Dan, like many other indie hackers, runs a bunch of projects alongside a full-time job, which all compounds him making over 5k a month with all of his projects. In 2012, he started Magpile, a free online resource about magazines, which was followed by Subsale, a platform to help indie publishers sell magazine subscriptions. Earlier this year, Dan started using the publishing platform Ghost, which he then started to build a suite of products around. Now that includes Gloat, a productized service for hosting and self-hosting, Cove, a commenting tool for Ghost blogs, and Substation, a theme for Ghost. It doesn't stop there because a few months ago, Dan launched Illo, a better analytics platform for Twitter, which has earned over 6K in revenue since launch. If you're like Dan and you work on your side projects on evenings and weekends, then I think you're going to like our podcast sponsor, Weekend Club. Weekend Club is a friendly community of indie hackers that meet up every Saturday for deep working sessions, making sure we stay accountable with our goals. The community includes founders of bootstrap companies like Veed and Simplepole, as well as smaller indie hackers like you and me. Weekend Club has just launched in the US, so if you're interested in signing up, use IndieBytes your code for 50% off your first month. Let's get into the show. Dan, welcome to the podcast. How are you, mate? Very well. Yeah, thanks. How, how are you? Yeah, very good. You just moved into a nice new place in Mauritius. We, we've lived in a few different places. Yeah, we just looked for a nice warm place and ended up here. There's no ties. There's no job. It's just working online from a tropical island. Yeah, I'm very jealous. I, I live by the beach, but in Whitstable in the UK. And right. currently <laughs> it's not very nice looking out at the beach, seeing the, the murky gray water and weeds growing on the beach. Anyway, let's go on to indie hacking side projects, what you're working on. You've got a portfolio of projects and a few people I've spoken to have this. Uh, Rob Pope in the in one of the previous episodes, he has four or five things all going on at the same time. One of them might earn quite a lot more than the other but they all sort of compound to give him his full-time income why would you choose the route of doing multiple smaller things versus just doing one side project i think the main reason is that i can't just do one thing at one time i did run subsurf for a few years as my only product but it wasn't really it wasn't like a conscious choice and then this year i started having loads of new ideas and i got back on twitter like more kind of full-time it's not necessarily about taking lots of small bets it's just me having an idea and realizing that i can build the thing and launch it and how how are you managing all of your time between everything yeah it's it can be tough sometimes i don't have a lot of time for these projects because i do have a a full-time job i do these all in my spare time and i have three kids as well and obviously a (laughs) wife so yeah my days are already full but I, i squeeze in an hour or two here and there when i can and and just make gradual small progress on them over time and yeah, it builds up eventually. I don't have any expectations about these growing into like massive businesses. So yeah, I'm just happy kind of chipping away and doing things as I can. 
if one of them took off, so say Elo suddenly starts getting a ton of people in and you're making tens of thousands of dollars every month from it, would you start to to drop your other things and focus on Elo? Do you think that could be boring just working on one thing? I think if I did build something that did take off like that, then I guess I would have to commit to it. I would assume that I would have to drop something at some point <laughs> to make that happen. Like I do feel at the moment that these projects could grow a lot faster if I was focusing on them full-time. You've only got so much time, but you do have a full-time job, which is sustaining you, which means you don't have the worry of having to grow your side projects to a specific point. I know a lot of people that are working on their side projects and might have multiple ones, but they're burning through savings and they've got to make their projects work. But I think the value of having a full-time income is that sustains you while you can slowly and in a fun way build your side projects up right yeah there's no there's no stress about the projects making money if they do then it they do but i think it also it's a bit of a curse that there is that cushion because there is no pressure mm. so i might not be taking the risks and i might not be pushing as hard as i could be to make them into a success you know what i mean it's like a, a double-edged sword as they say i completely agree and i feel like i'm in the same boat with everything that i start indie bites uh, the, the other podcast i had the podcast editing service all of which I'm sure could do much better than they are if I had the pressure that I needed to make money for them. But I think that also remove a lot of the fun from it. The reason I do these side projects is because they're fun. It's because they're enjoyable. I get to talk to people like you on this podcast and I don't have to worry about how much money it earns. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's all my projects are kind of hobbies, I guess. It's like the best term to use for them. Little things I dabble in <laughs> throughout the week. And yeah, if at the moment they're making a bit of money every month and that's just like a bonus. And you've got a suite of Ghost products. Ghost is a publishing platform. You've got Gloat Dev. You've then got Gloat Hosting, which you recently launched. Cove and Substation, the Ghost theme. Why is it you're so bullish on Ghost? I think that Ghost is maybe the best online publishing platform. Online publishing is something that's hung around on the internet since the early days. People want to write and they want to put their ideas out or they want to publish new content. And I think Ghost is positioning itself now as a brilliant modern tool for that. They started off as like a blogging platform, but now they're integrating newsletters, which is adapting to today's publishing kind of norms, the open source nature and the features that they tend to release, just putting them in a great position for the future. Is there a benefit to having these projects being so complementary towards each other? Are you constantly sort of thinking about new things you can develop for Ghost or is it just it quite organically happens? Yeah, it's it's been quite organic. So I started a a blog in the beginning of this year about t-shirts because I wanted to get into like making a t-shirt brand and I just wanted to practice learning about the industry. So I started writing about t-shirts using Ghost. Uh, And then in the spring, I decided to make a ghost native commenting tool, which is what Cove is. And then, yeah, since then, because I'd set up a few ghost sites, I decided to start selling that as a service because it, it can be quite difficult if you've never done it before. So that was what Gloat, the, the services business came from. Yeah, and then as a developer designer, themes was a natural progression. And it's been, you talk about the complementary kind of nature of them. It's been quite cool seeing people buy substation theme and then sign up to Cove to use the comments. And then realize that I have a host. So then they sign up for the host or the other way around that they, they find out about gloat and then they buy the theme and then they install Cove after that. So yeah, in, in that way, it works quite well that they're interlinked because I have had customers buy the whole thing. 
Yeah, it's a whole suite. And and interestingly about this suite, and you, you put out a really insightful tweet thread on it, is you actually got an offer to purchase the suite of Ghost products. How, how did that come about? And what were the sort of the options that were presented to you? So I don't know what the trigger was uh, for this person to reach out, but I think it was the day before I'd actually tweeted about how my, I've changed my mindset that everything has its price. And if someone were to try and buy something, then I would be open to offers. That's probably the next day someone DM'd me and it's like, I'd like to talk about buying your ghost suite. <laughs> we had a chat and they pitched me three different offers and ultimately it didn't happen. It's a cool experience. As I said in the tweet thread, it's a nice validation, I guess, to know that people value my work and the products that I've been putting out. You presented with three different offers, really. You had the 75K for a clean exit. Just sell them and, and wipe <laughs> your hands, take the money <laughs> and run. Be bored because you have four less projects on your hands. <laughs> but then you had 67K to retain 20% of it, but no commitment to working them further. Or a 50K cash injection with 50% ownership and a commitment to continue working on them. How were you feeling at that point? How did you decide which one you were going to like? If, if you were have gone for it, which one of you would you have gone for? So the, the clean exit was the most maybe obvious choice. I'm not used to like working on these projects with other people. I guess that's one reason. But I think the other thing was just be like, if someone were to like buy them, then I think being part of that kind of setup would have just been a bit messy, at least for the first like while. So yeah, I, I was happy to let them go and move on to new things. What caused the change in mindset and uh, how hard do you think it would have been to walk away from, from stuff you put blood, sweat and tears into in your projects? <laughs> I think initially it would have been okay because I would have been busy like tidying them up and getting them ready to, for like handover. But then I guess like after the fact, I hadn't really, I still haven't really thought about what that next step would have been like someone else running the things that I built from nothing. You know what I mean? I don't know what that feeling's like. So yeah, I'm not sure how it would have gone, but I think it's yeah, just that, that mindset of here, take my thing. I, I'm not that attached to it. I think it's an important thing to do, even if you're not selling your projects because you don't get all like connected to them or tied up in their success. If, if things go bad, then it's, it shouldn't affect you. And if things go well, then it shouldn't affect you. It's just detach yourself from the projects a bit more. It's like a healthier way of running things. And I'm happy that kind of triggered that uh, change. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. But what happened with the deal? Why did it end up not going through? So they, it was the week that Squarespace announced their membership features. I think that maybe the buyer just, they weren't like 100% convinced that maybe putting that much capital into something in a platform that they weren't sure was going to be the winner in the future. Maybe they decided that wasn't such a good idea. I don't know. I'm not sure why they pitched those figures and then ultimately didn't go through with it, but... Yeah, certainly a cool experience. And I'm excited by Ghost because I switched to it earlier this year and think it's an exceptional product. It's really nicely executed. And as you mentioned, it's open source as well. Where, where do you think it's going in the future with their investment in memberships and being the alternative to Substack and similar things to that? I think they've, they seem very attached to the idea of publishing, whereas like other tools become CMSs or kind of website builders. They're sticking true to like you write a post and you publish it as the core features they've added newsletters so i think for at least for now the future is going to be more newsletter email focused yeah and then i don't know what like the next step would be other than just making sure that they are the one of the best publishing platforms 
Let's let's switch up a little bit and talk about Illo, which is the the product you were working mostly on when I first sort of reached out to you and we started talking about Indie Bytes. What made you build an alternative analytics platform for Twitter and how's that gone so far for you? Yeah, so I was an early Twitter user in 2006. I like I loved the platform. It's um, probably my favorite web tool ever. And I've been on it kind of on and off since 2006 until earlier this year when I thought I'd uh, give it a go. And then I got more, I just got obsessed with the indie builder group that I kind of stumbled into. And I started sharing my progress on projects and as I was building Cove and Gloat and stuff like that. And the Twitter analytics that I built into Twitter are okay. And I realized that there's a way to make better analytics for Twitter. The The focus that I wanted to bring to Illo was the engagement. So it's not about like how many tweets you do or how many impressions your tweets get. It's more about how your tweets are kind of received and how people react to them. And I think that's a better way to understand how well you're doing on Twitter. Also, like the follower number is one of those like vanity metrics. But again, if you see huge growth in your followers, then you're obviously doing something. So that's something else that Illo makes it easy to, to see and track. I think that like the main difference between the, the two products is that Illo is more detailed. So you, you have more charts and you can drill into the data a lot more. And you mentioned you started getting more bullish with Twitter earlier in the year. You decided to, mm. to give it another go. Why did you decide to do it then? And what sort of things were you doing differently? I think it was because of that blog that I started writing. And obviously when you start writing a blog, you need to go on social media more. I'd been on Instagram quite heavily the last three years maybe mm-hmm. and i just started tweeting about what i was working on it's just like regularly tweeting putting out ideas or putting out figures or progress in projects if it doesn't drive followers then it doesn't drive followers it doesn't really matter yeah it's true it, it doesn't really matter what does a what does a <laughs> follower number really matter at the end of the day but i think a lot of people are trying to search for the perfect format they're trying threads they're trying to provide value but i think what you're saying is about just yourself don't be commenting on your virgin media speed and how terrible they are <laughs> because no. that, that, that's not going to help you grow followers but what we'll no. do is share in your progress be open honest authentic or all, all these sorts of things dan it's been bloody good fun chatting to you about your side projects it's awesome to see what you're doing we end the episode on a few recommendations now i usually ask people for a book a podcast and an indie hacker but i've since learned since learned you don't read books but what you do read is magazines and newsletters so what i'm going to ask you for is a magazine a newsletter a podcast and then an indie hacker fire out your recommendations okay here goes magazine courier magazine which is like a business startup DTC kind of magazine from London. Uh, newsletter, Dense Discovery by my mate Kai, who runs Offscreen Magazine. Podcast, it's a tough one, it's a tough one. I would probably have to just go with startup because I got so much out of startup and I think it's like a brilliant kind of audio journey. And Indie Hacker, impossible to choose this one person, but I'm gonna go with Justin Jackson. Because again, I've learned a lot from him over the years. Brilliant recommendations. Dan, I'll make sure I put links to everything discussed in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks a lot for having me on. Thank you for listening to the pod. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you've made it this far into the episode and you'd like to support the podcast, I'm now offering a membership with ad-free episodes and extended conversations. Head to indiebytes.co slash membership to find out more. 
As always, links to what we discussed are in the show notes. See you in the next one.